Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. We're going through the book of Ephesians, and there's a lot of metaphors that Scripture uses to describe the church, and we're going to be talking about one of those metaphors today. Uh, there's the metaphor of the body of Christ, which kind of emphasizes, because each one of these metaphors, you learn a different thing about the church. So the body of Christ kind of emphasizes that we are one body made up of a bunch of different parts, and each part plays an important role. So that emphasizes that the church is made up of a lot of people, and each one of you plays a significant role in the church, and most of those roles happen in the form of personal ministry. In other words, it's not the church creating things within their programs for you to exercise your gifts. I mean, those are somewhat important, but even more important is learning to exercise your gifts in terms of personal ministry. So if you're gifted in hospitality, you regularly have people from the church over to your home. That's where the real action in church happens. So the body of Christ is one metaphor Another metaphor is the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ is, is emphasizing God's faithful love for us even when we're not faithful to him. Uh, the bride of Christ metaphor is all about I am committed to you as a church, and I'm not forsaking you, and I'm not leaving you. It's the covenant relationship. Today we're talking about this temple image metaphor that scripture uses and that Paul's going to use in our passage today. So um, we're encouraging, I'm starting to encourage more and more people to bring your own Bibles with you. We're always going to have something, uh, the passage in the bulletin. But I also want you to get used to the idea of having your Bible with you and circling things, writing notes in the margins, um, highlighting things, uh, pointing out things to go back to later, writing possible applications, insights, all those things. Because I want your, your own personal like paper Bible to be something that you can reference quickly when people ask you spiritual questions, that you can remember things that you learn in a teaching when you're reading back through a passage that we discuss. So we use the English Standard Version uh, translations, the ESV so I would encourage you, we just bought my daughters each their own ESV Bible again uh, this week, so I'd encourage you to look for one of those. If you want help looking for uh, a study Bible or a Bible that would fit you, I'm happy to talk to you about that. Pastor Al is happy to talk to you about that. Any number of people who come to Southside would be happy to talk about that with you. So if you don't have your Bibles, that's also totally fine. Uh, the passage is in the, in the bulletin. And also, the Bible was written mainly to be heard. So it's okay for you just to listen as well. We're going to read Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, and that's where we're going to settle today. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The passage we talked about last week talked about Jesus tearing down walls of hostility between people and him and people and one another. So Paul's picking up there saying, see, 
because of that, you're no longer strangers and aliens to God. You're part of his family. You're a citizen of his kingdom. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also. And if you have your Bibles with you, that might be a phrase to circle. In him you also. Because that is the clearest and most concise definition of the gospel. That in Christ, you also. Means you are included in God's family because of what Jesus has done. And that language is also uh, used in chapter 1, verses 13. In him you also. So in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So if you're looking at that passage, and you don't mind writing in your Bibles, why don't you put a square or a circle around temple in verse 21? Because I want to talk about what is the definition of a temple. And it's actually written right in there in this passage. So if you look at verse 22, it says a dwelling place for God. And you can underline that. Because that's what a temple is. A temple is a dwelling place for God on earth. So I want to give you a very brief Bible survey of temples because the whole metaphor today is about spiritual temples and the Spirit is building and we're like each living stones. We'll look at a passage that says that later. But you're a part of this spiritual structure that God is building as a temple. So I want us to really understand that language so brief, brief, brief Bible survey of that, starting way back at the beginning, where we have the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is a place where God intended to dwell on earth with people, and Adam and Eve's responsibility was to cover the whole earth with what was contained in the Garden of Eden. That was what they were supposed to do. So the whole earth would be a temple for God. Now, we screwed it up, and God had to remove his presence from the garden, but that was the original temple. Fast forward and the Israelites are freed from their slavery to the Egyptians. And God's talking to Moses. And he says, I want you to start talking to the people and make a, a list of things that we're going to need because we're going to build something. So God actually says, if their hearts are inclined to give, meaning not all the Israelites would give, but he said, if their hearts were inclined to give, here's some things that we're going to need. And he talks about different, you know, wood and um, material for building uh, curtains and this structure. He just lays out the structure. I think this is in Exodus 25, if you want to check my homework. And God says, what I'm going to do is build a dwelling place where I can travel with you throughout your years in the wilderness. That was called a tabernacle. It was a portable temple. And remember, a temple is a place where, where God dwells. And God wanted to show them that, yeah, you're going to be in the wilderness for a long time, but I'm going to be with you, traveling with you. So they would, they would go like 30 miles or 20 miles or 10 miles, and then they would set up shop again. They would set up this tabernacle, and the Spirit of God would be there with them. And it would be like a visual presence and reminder that God's with them. And then God would tell them to go somewhere else, and they would pack up the tent and go somewhere else and then set it up again and stay there for a little while and they would have a temple everywhere they went. The tabernacle was a portable place for God's spirit to dwell. A few hundred years later, 
uh, they had their own land, and now they have a king, and his name is David. And David captures the city of Jerusalem, and there's a perfect place, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that he wants to build a temple. Does God let David build a temple? He doesn't. You know why? Because he's a man of war. He's a man of death, and God is a God of life. So he says, you're actually not allowed to, but your son can. So Solomon becomes king, and Solomon builds a temple, and this temple is in Jerusalem, and the temple in Jerusalem kind of become, they kind of mesh together, but the temple becomes this central place where wherever Israelites are living in the kingdom, a few times a year, they go have these celebrations and these feasts at this temple in Jerusalem. It's like a central location. And that's where they would go and restore their relationship with God. That's where they believed that God would rule the nations of the earth from that place where his presence was. Um, they would celebrate Passover, how God freed them from slavery. But several times a year, no matter where you were, the entire town... You could be 30 miles away from Jerusalem. Your entire town, if you're an Israelite, would pack up and go to Jerusalem and celebrate one of these feasts, remembering God's goodness to you. Because the temple was central. That's where the presence of God was. And I was trying to think, like, how do you, what would be a good, what would be something to compare that to today? And the closest thing I could think of is, like, imagine a small town, like, going to the state football championship and the entire town packs up and they're all writing on you know the windows of their car this paint we're going to number one we're going to the state championship and like everybody packs up and the whole the little town is like a ghost town nobody's there because they're all going to watch a state championship game that's kind of like what it would be. I don't know what else you could you have a better idea you can tell me afterwards but that's kind of like what it have been everybody goes in fact, there's a really funny story about Jesus when he's 12 years old. We don't know a lot about Jesus in the tween years, but um, this we do know. He's 12 years old, and his family packs up. They go to the Feast of the Passover in Jerusalem, and they're on their way home. You know, they celebrate. <clears throat> they're on their way home, and they are a day into the trip, a day into the journey home, when probably Mary was like, by the way, has anyone seen Jesus? Like, he has... Anyone see him? What's going on? Is he like with his cousin John? Like, what's, what's happening? I, I have not, nobody's seen him. They go back and they're looking for Jesus for three days in Jerusalem. Have you ever left one of your kids at Walmart? Have you ever been left at Walmart by, by a parent? It's like distressing. So for three days, they're looking for Jesus and they find him in, where was he? He was in the temple. And he was astounding these religious leaders by the incredible insightful questions he was asking them and his parents were like what is, what is going on Jesus and you're like we're pretty distressed here why did you not just come with and and he said didn't you know I had to be about my father you knew I'd be in my father's house the temple was a central location because that's where the spirit of God dwelled unfortunately um, the Israelites began to place other things ahead of their relationship with God. And they began to worship idols. They began to entrust themselves to other things. Um, they began to trust, entrust their security and their livelihood to things besides God. They, they stopped depending on him. And because of that, there's a very haunting image, a vision that a man named Ezekiel had in Ezekiel 10 and 11. 
And God kind of opens his eyes to see the spiritual reality of what's happening in the temple. And it says that the, the Spirit of God lifts from the Holy of Holies and he begins moving out the temple. And the Spirit of God, it's like being ushered by angels. And it, he stops and he pauses at the east gate, the furthest most gate from the Holy of Holies. And he pauses there, almost reluctant to leave the temple. But the Israelites were so disobedient that eventually in Ezekiel 11, it goes off into the mountains. The Spirit of God has left the temple, devastating for the Israelites, devastating for the Jewish nation. Eventually, the temple is destroyed, and a lot of the Jewish people are sent off into Babylon. And in Babylon, some of them begin to learn and get the idea that it's possible to be guided and empowered by the presence of God, even without a building. Eventually, they go back into Jerusalem. God orchestrates these amazing arrangements that allows them to go back into the city and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. They have a second temple, and this is on the, the same location as Solomon's temple, the Temple Mount. And that temple lasted through Jesus' lifetime. King Herod did this massive expansion project on it. And, but it, too, was eventually destroyed by the Romans. And if you go there today, actually, um, do you know what's at where these two temples were located in the same place, Solomon's Temple and the Second Temple? Do you know what's on that location today? Does anybody know? It's the Dome of the Rock. It is, it's an Islamic shrine. That's what's at the Temple Mount today. And there's some very strange understandings and beliefs. A lot of Christians are, they believe that in order for Jesus to return, you have to, we have to build a third temple. So they're trying to get, you know, displace that Islamic shrine and build another temple so that Jesus can return. It's like, it's, it's completely missing the point. Ra- people are literally raising money to do that because they think there's a certain... Um, animal that needs to be sacrificed, and it's, it's missing the symbolism of the picture. We don't need a third temple in order for Jesus to return. He can return whenever he wants to. But the point is, it's a spiritual structure. The new temple is a spiritual structure that can't be built by human hands. It can only be built by the Spirit of God. And that's what our passage in Ephesians is describing today. In fact, if you look in 1 Corinthians 3.16, and you might just write that next to this passage in Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So we are the temple. And this is all over the New Testament, that we are now the temple, but there's also a superstructure temple that we're going to talk about. One of the implications of this is there's no more sacred spaces. So you you shouldn't say to your kid, like if he's running up and down the aisle here, you shouldn't say, don't run in church. This is like a sacred space. It's not a sacred space. It's okay. They can run in church. If they're a little bit louder, it's okay. Because there is no such thing as sacred spaces anymore. They're sacred people. And we get really hung up on this because I think we like concrete things to look at and say, that is sacred. And you can do that. Just do it to 
a person who's a follower of Jesus. I'm not proud of this, but I got kicked out of the Brooklyn Tabernacle once. You guys familiar with Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? I was kicked out of that place because um, I brought a bunch of teenagers there, which is usually why I got in trouble. But I brought a bunch of teenagers, and we brought some kids on this trip who were basically we were trying to reparent them in some ways because they just didn't have parents and so they were a little rowdy and um, a little rambunctious so I just told them, okay guys this I know it's New York City's awesome we're going to Brooklyn Tabernacle just you got to calm it down a little bit because they are really serious about this and it is awesome Brooklyn Tabernacle's amazing ministry Jim Cimbala is a read his books he's a fantastic uh, pastor and their choir is incredible and I think just awesome. But we're in there, and I go use the bathroom, and I come back. We're in the sanctuary of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, waiting for service. And I look, and I see my teenagers running around playing tag in the sanctuary. And I'm like, well, we're out of here. This was fun. I would have liked to have seen one service, guys. So um, I got them. I'm like, get over here. I'm asking my other adults, Where, what were you doing? They were playing with them. So we all get together. And that's just the kind of leaders that I had. They just loved the kids. They didn't care. So we're all sitting together, and uh, I said, we're probably going to get kicked out. And a couple people come over, and they're, they're probably longtime members, and they tell us, you know, this, is, this place is holy. You can't do that. And they weren't up for the theology of sacred spaces conversation, so I just kind of let it go. I was like, all right, we're out of here. Sorry about that. And we were leaving, but credit to Brooklyn Tabernacle. Several ushers and security team members came over and like, Please don't go. We're so sorry. They're kind of grumpy. We just let them be. And it, they're not representative of us. And I was like, it's totally fine. It's probably going to be more awkward if we go back in. We'll, we'll try it again another time. So there is no sacred spaces. There's sacred people. Another implication of that is, you know, we say all the time things like, we got to bring God back into the workplace. Or we got to let God back into the schools. I'm not sure exactly what people mean by that. I don't know if they mean we've got to let people pray, which you can. You can pray in schools and in the workplace. And I don't know if it means they want to post the Ten Commandments. I'm not sure how helpful that would be. That's not bringing God back into the schools and workplaces. The way that you bring God back into the schools and workplaces, if you're a Christian, you walk into the building. That's how you bring God back into that place. Because you are a temple of the living God. He where you go, he goes. So we need to learn how to be intentional about being living and active. It's not putting a poster of the Ten Commandments to condemn believers into the kingdom. There's a different way. Now, the commandments are useful, but a poster's not going to do it. It's going to be a person. That's, that was Jesus' plan. You guys go and make disciples. All right. So we're individually temples, but... We see in this passage, and look in verse 22, that God is actually creating a superstructure temple, not just us as individuals. Let's read what it says. It says, In him you also are being built together. You're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So each of us God is linking and building us together into some enormous, it's a metaphor, but it's an enormous dwelling place for God, a temple. 
made up of every Jesus follower, everyone who's put their faith in Christ for salvation, who has ever lived, were one giant temple, not just people who are alive, but people from the beginning of creation who are part of God's family by faith. So let's just very briefly touch on the foundational elements of the spiritual temple. It says in verse 20, the apostles and prophets are foundational. These are authorized voices who speak on God's behalf. As you read your Bible, you are reading the voices of apostles and prophets. And they're still alive and speaking to you through his word, because the Bible's alive, it says. So how does God build his temple, spiritual temple? Scripture, mainly. That's how he's building and adding to it today. But the main foundational element we see in verse 20 is Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. I'll read you this little, um, this is a quote from a study Bible that explains what a, a cornerstone is. It says, the cornerstone was the most important stone in an ancient building. It was the first stone to be set in the foundation, and all other blocks were plumbed to it. Believers take their place in God's spiritual house by squaring their lives to the plans and purposes of Christ. So in those ancient buildings, what do you think would happen if someone removed a cornerstone? It would probably crumble eventually. You know that's exactly what happened to the church in Ephesus? I mean, Paul's telling them right now, Christ is the cornerstone. And yet years later, they removed, they displaced Christ from the center. We see that because in Revelation 2, Jesus rebukes them for it. He says, I know all the good things that you're doing. I see that, I see that you're like warring against people who are against me, it's, who are teaching heresies. That's good. It's great. I, I see the things that you do, but I hold one thing against you. You've forsaken your first love. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. And he says, you need to repent and put me back in my rightful place. And if you don't repent and put me at the center again, you will lose your identity as a church. I will remove my lampstand and your gathering will get very dark. And we have to be vigilant about that because it's so tempting to put so many things in the place of Christ at the center as a church. There's a lot of really good things we could do. Social justice, it's great, very good, and should come out of a heart that's aflame for Christ. We're more passionate about him even than justice. Helping the poor, very, very important. We need to figure out how to do that better. But Christ needs to remain at the center. Community and friendship is a really important thing. It's a byproduct of Christ at the center. It doesn't take the center. So what I want to do is talk through just two implications of this, and we're wrapping it up here. Um, one implication of understanding that, of this passage, that the Spirit is building the temple, is that the pressure is off us. The pressure is off us. Uh, my, when I was a kid and playing sports, um, some of the best advice that my dad would give me when I'd go off and play basketball, we'd, we'd work really hard during the week and then it was a game, game night and he would just say, go have fun. You got everything you need, you know, have fun, have fun tonight. 
play hard and have a good time. And that when I, the pressure was released, I actually performed better. It's kind of the same thing when you're sharing with people about Jesus and evangelism. If you're neurotic about, this is all up to me. If I screw it up, I don't say the right words. It's going to mess everything up. The Spirit is building His church. He will bring people into the kingdom even through your fumbling attempts at sharing the gospel like we always, all of us do. None of us get it down perfectly. But the pressure's off you. Jesus is building his church. The Spirit is building his church. That's what it says in verse 22. So don't worry about it. Don't not speak because you don't know how to say it perfectly. Just tell him what you got. The Spirit can use anything. He'll start with where you're at. I had a pastor one time, a um, friend who, in Akron, who would say he can't get on an airplane without feeling... Um, almost not shamed, but like I have to tell everybody around me about Jesus. And if I don't do that, and if something happens, um, it's on me. That's a lot of pressure. It's all on you, really. There was no other plan. There was no other way. It's all up to you. Oof. It's a subtle shift when you believe the Bible instead of those messages that the Spirit is indeed building His temple, becomes a lifelong, adventurous project where all you're doing is looking around and seeing where's the Spirit moving and how can I join Him. That's a constant prayer. What's God up to? Where's He building His temple? And how can I partner with you in that, Lord? I'm available. It becomes a project that's worth your entire life. Also, if you're not yet part of God's temple, maybe he's drawing you right now. And you know, the way that God does that, because God is love, it's not like a part of who he is, it is actually who he is. A lot of times when he's drawing you into his family or into his temple, it's, you know, which he dwells in, it's going to be acts of affection and love. It sounds a little quirky and a little weird, but if you learn to pay attention to these little acts of affection and love that God puts in your life, it'll, it'll change you. It'll soften you. I was at a beach. Man, this is a long time ago. It might have been like 15 years ago. Um, and I got up early in the morning one day, and I uh, remember walking on... I took a walk on the beach by myself, and it was really early, and... So there wasn't a lot of people around, so I was praying and I was talking out loud. I, it's hard for me to pray without talking out loud because I just can't finish a sentence in my head. So I'm talking out loud, and I decide, God, I'm going to talk with you the first couple miles, and then on the way back, I'm going to leave, I want you to talk to me. Like, what do you have for me? What do you want to say to me? So my conversation on the whole, you know, this first half of the walk was, I need, you to, I need a new word, or I need you to tell me something, or I need a new way to do ministry, or I'm, you know, I'm running out of ideas. I need you to you know, show me the next arm of my ministry career. and like, just That's the entire walk. That's what I'm praying. That's what I'm talking about. So I turn around. God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What do you want to show me? What do you want to tell me? What do you want to communicate to me? I'm ready. The ocean's there. It's beautiful. It's amazing. This is perfect. I'm alone. I know you have something to say to me. 
See those stupid balloons that um, you bring to birthday parties and they're like, they look like tinfoil. I don't know what they are. They look like tinfoil. They have ribbons and they have helium in them. Like one was half deflated. It kept like hitting me. The wind would blow it around me. It like hit me on the head and I just kept walking like, what's up with this stupid balloon? And I couldn't like, I tried to smash it. I was just so annoyed by it. I walked the whole way back. This thing is stalking me and I'm so frustrated. I'm so annoyed. I'm like, God, I just want just... Like, what do you have for me? And this is so hokey, it's almost embarrassing to give this example. I don't, I don't know if I've ever given it publicly because it's really kind of embarrassing because it's like, woo-woo. Um, but I finally was like, geez, I hit it. It hit me, I hit it. It hit my face. It went down on the ground, like right in front of me. It was a heart. It was, no kidding, it was actually a heart. And it was a red heart and it said, I love you on it. And that was what God was trying. Would you just relax and rest in my love for you, just relax. And I wouldn't have thought too much about it. I thought, like, that is an incredible, that's incredible, but I don't know exactly if that's from your spirit, other than the fact that my mind just flooded with verses about God's love. One after another after another. And that's how God sometimes communicates with you in very personal, meaningful ways that are between you and him. Because this temple that he's building is a dwelling place for him, and he is love. It's the language that he speaks. The second and the final implication of this is that there is a a tension that we live in as this temple and it's a tension that they teach in family system theory, and that is this togetherness and individuality. Togetherness and individuality. How do you become large, part of a larger community without losing your individuality? And there's a term that I'm sure some of you are familiar with called being differentiated. And being differentiated means that you essentially know who you are and you don't default on that in front of other people. Because as someone has said better than me before, if you know who you are and default on it on a regular basis, that's a person who's in real misery. You don't lose your individuality when you become part of God's kingdom. You actually gain it. You become more who you're meant to be while being intimately connected to a larger community. It's like the best possible marriage you can have, Kara and I were just chewing on this the other day, is two completely differentiated people people who have left the family of origin and know exactly who they are and what they are about. That's scripture. That's what God tells us. And are committed to one another for life, but don't lose their individuality. And that's the temple that God's creating, even at a spiritual level. Togetherness in individuality. I was talking with a, a new friend um, the other day, and he was showing me uh, a passage, Revelation 2.17. And it's about, it's a really, it's an amazing passage. It's about, as we're entering into this new kingdom, when Jesus comes back and makes everything new, like, we don't go to heaven, you realize that. At the end, we don't go to heaven, heaven comes to us, and the earth becomes God's dwelling place. So as we're entering into this eternity, Jesus hands each believer a gift. You know what it is? It's a little white stone. 
and it has a name on, a name on it. It's your name. It's a new name that God gives you. And it's that nobody will ever know about it except you and Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That even in eternity, even when we live on this, in this new heaven and this new earth, there are some things that Jesus still says, even as part of this large mass community of believers living together forever, there's some things that Jesus says, there's still something just for me and you. And in the temple of God that Jesus, that the Spirit is building right now, as you take your role in that temple, you don't lose yourself. You don't lose who God made you to be. We're not some cult that we all start thinking and acting and speaking and dressing alike. That would be incredibly dull. We need you as you are with the Spirit of Christ making you more and more who you are. And that's how we become a dynamic place where the Spirit of God dwells together. Let me pray for us, and then Pastor Al is going to lead us in communion. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.